morning, New Life East. Would you stand to your feet? So good to see you this morning. Put your hands together. Come on, let's sing. The God of creation took our place. Come on. The God of redemption opened the way. The day you gave, sing it. The day you gave your life seemed to failure in our eyes. But the stone rolled away as you walked out of that grave. Let this place erupt with praise. Why do you live for the living among the graves? Jesus lives all the earth out. The power of hell has been broken. And this changes everything. You probably noticed as you walked in here this morning, we have a horse trough set up. 
Uh, that's not because we have horses here this morning, uh, but we're baptizing folks this morning. So really special Sunday for us, special Sunday for the church. Church has been doing this in horse troughs and rivers and baptismals and bathtubs for 2,000 years now. Somehow the Holy Spirit has been claiming water <laughs> and making it a pathway into the life of God. And I'm thinking this morning about Paul's words in Romans chapter 6. Paul says this about baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. You know, that's what ha what's happening today. It's a funeral. <laughs> These folks that are saying yes to Jesus, they're going into the grave this morning so that they can come up in newness of life, which is what Paul says. He goes on to say that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here's what's happening in Paul's mind, that when we get baptized, what's, happen, what's happening is that we're getting all tangled up in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're actually saying that story is my story, that death, that's my death, and that life, all that resurrection life, like that whole thing by which the Father of Jesus Christ rescued him from the power of the grave and set him beyond death forever. The whole offer of the New Testament is like, that can be yours too. Well, all you gotta do is say yes. And I'm saying that to you this morning. Listen up, church. I'm saying that to you this morning to say this, that we've got seven folks that are getting baptized this morning, which is so amazing. A good, solid biblical number. <laughs> But there are some of you here this morning that you have never identified yourself with Jesus in this way. And you've got faith in Jesus in your heart. You've been walking with Jesus. Or maybe you've been coming here for a few weeks and you've sensed some confidence growing in Jesus. This is your morning and we're ready for you. So if that's you this morning, maybe you didn't sign up to get baptized, but you're like, oh my gosh, I want Jesus. I want the church. I want the kingdom of God. I want everything that goes with that. In just a couple minutes here, we're gonna sing one more song of worship and then Pastor Rory is gonna lead all of our folks that are getting baptized here to the tank. If that's you this morning and you're like, please, I wanna join, just come on up when that group lines up. We've got a towel for you, a t-shirt for you. We'll take care of all of it, but you can jump in the tank this morning. And so can we just pray this morning, church? Would you just lift your hands like this? And would you say, come Holy Spirit? And that is what we're longing for this morning, Holy Spirit. Somehow you do it, week after week, you do it. You take a gymnasium, you take these folding chairs, you take this AV tech stuff, you take our words and the scriptures, you take all of it and you make it a gate of heaven. You make it a portal, you make it a mystery. This morning we're asking that you would somehow in these next few minutes, that you would rip open the veil of reality. That you would help us see Jesus Christ seated on the throne of his father in heaven with the angels and the saints and the four elders and the four living creatures and the 24 elders gathered around, I pray that we would be swept up into eternity this morning. I'm asking that all of those who are in this room that have faith in Jesus in their hearts but have never said yes publicly, I'm asking that they would respond this morning to the invitation. And we're asking that miracles would take place as we worship this morning. Granted, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. One more song of worship and then we're gonna baptize. You're so good 
awaken us, Lord. Come on, would you sing with me, church? Infinite, infinite, self-existent, beyond the end, before beginning, eternal one, creator God. You made the world and it was good. All in all, sing. All in all, self-sufficient, so high above, but never distant. Made for your love, fashioned from dust. You gave us breath and it was good. Come on. Glory and honor, blessing and power, because your name alone is worthy, worthy forever, the praise is yours, the praise is yours, we hit our face singing. Betrayed your heart, our glory faded, went our own way, gave up on love, but you would not thank you, Jesus.
Church, this is the moment that this Sunday we are going to recognize people walking into brand new life. So if you have signed up to be baptized, I believe there's seven of you. If you would come join us up front up here, you, your parents, your family members, whoever you want to bring. Can we give these folks a round of applause as they come up here? Do me a favor, come line up on this side. Friends, you'll notice a theme this morning, and it's that those who are getting baptized are like the youngest among us. Which, yeah. I think what's beautiful about that is not that, you know, Jesus had this moment where he looked out in a crowd and saw these kids and he said, would you let the little children come to me? We know that Jesus has no reservations about kids approaching him. Jesus is safe. Jesus is to be trusted. But what I think is beautiful about this moment is that what we have in front of us is that the role models of faith in this moment for us are the youngest among us. That there are those of us in the room who are adults who have walked through a lot more life than these kids have and what they are choosing to do in this moment is say, I know that the world is gonna tell stories about me. I know that the world is gonna attempt to cast a narrative about my life and what I'm doing in this moment is I'm grafting my story into the great story of Jesus. And for those of you that are adults in this room, some of you who have been like on the fence about faith, I hope that this morning what you can do is as you see these kids getting baptized is that you can find yourself in their story, that they're making a a loud declaration of faith, that they're grafting themselves into what Jesus is doing. And one of the ways that we have marked that throughout history is by announcing the creed together. So those of you that are getting baptized, I wanna invite you to turn around and face a screen But listen, they're not just saying, they're not just declaring their faith this morning on their own. We're doing this together as a community. So church, would you declare the creed with us this morning? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And if you believe that story to be true, would you say it with me? Amen. So friends who are getting baptized down here, we're going to have you step in on this side. Hop into the tank. Pastor Andrew will be down there. Moms, dads, feel free. Get down. Help with the baptism. Two things I want to say to those of you that are in the room. There are some of you in here who have wanted to make this 
decision, like you've wanted to mark your life this way, but for whatever reason, apprehension, anxiety, fear, just plain old wonderment about if this could not be for you, this is the time to do this. Would you let these little ones be the inspiration of faith for you? And the second thing that I wanna say to you is for anyone in this room who wants to make that choice, all you have to do is come talk to us. I'm gonna stand down here on the side. If there are those of you in this room who are going, you know what, I just need to make this decision. I just need to get in this tank, dry clothes and all, come and have the conversation. Before these kids step into the tank, would you join me in extending a hand, praying over those of us, those who are getting baptized this morning? God, we are so humbled by the faith of children that they, they are simply saying, what I have heard about Jesus, I trust to be true. So God, would you hold their faith together for all of the days of their lives? Would you walk with them? Father God, would you love them as a good dad does? Jesus, would you show them how to live sacrificially? Would you teach them how to lay down their lives every day that they exist? And Holy Spirit, would you be the still small voice that speaks to them, that encourages them, that convicts them, that calls them into deeper, more robust faith? We trust that you will do all of these things, that you have already done them, that you are doing these things even in this very moment. So Holy Spirit, would you rest on their shoulders? Would you speak to them, letting them know that they are a beloved son or daughter before they have ever stepped into these waters? And with you, with them, you are well pleased. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Let's baptize some people.
celebrate these kids. Families, you guys go get your kids all dried off. Go get their clothes changed. Kids over here, you guys are dismissed. You can head back to children's ministry. New Life East, thank you for being the kind of church that celebrates when someone makes that decision. I can't tell you how many churches I've stood in in my life where someone gets baptized and it is dead silent. But what is happening in this moment is life-changing, is legacy-altering, it's family-shifting. It is, it is the work of the Lord when moments like this happens. And friends, this is why we give at New Life East. We don't give for lights and sound and TVs. We give to see this stuff happen. So when you give at New Life East, this is the stuff it goes to. It goes to seeing families changed, legacies altered. So thank you for your generosity here at New Life East. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. I just have two things I want to tell you about. If you're a lady in the room, we have a women's retreat coming up on October 14th. I don't want to get the date wrong. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Black Barn. This is going to be an awesome stretch of time for you ladies to, to honestly to recognize that you are valued here at New Life East, that there are people who care for you, and that God has something brilliant for your life. So if you want to sign up to be a part of that, simply uh, stop by Connect Central or you can scan this QR code. We'll get you signed up for it. And then men in the room, we have a men's retreat coming up that is not just for New Life East, it's for all of New Life Church. So they're going to be gathering up at Golden Bell Camp in Divide, Colorado. Pastor Andrew is going to be teaching at this on Friday night. So it's going to be a great space for you. You can register for that as well. Stop by Connect Central. We'd be happy to help make that happen for you. Now, why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you.
Oh, man. Y'all, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I was like, well, the Lord be with you. I'm going to get the room back together here. Man, that was like ugly cry for me. Um, so many of them, especially Peyton, she's not in here, but Peyton, the first girl that got baptized, some of you don't know this, but she was our junior volunteer of the year last year. And her story is so beautiful. Just started riding, like her family lives in the neighborhood here, and she started riding her bike to church on her own. And all of a sudden, faith in Jesus starts awakening in her, and we've just watched this incredible transformation in her life into like, who can do that but God, you know? And watching all these little ones and thinking about how the scripture says that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for us and it's for, do you read your Bibles too? It's for us and for our children. It's for our kids. I got four of my own. And what I know is that I can't make faith happen in my kids. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we've done our best as parents to try to instruct our kids and bring them up in the training, the nurture, and the admonition of the Lord. But genuine faith only happens because the Spirit provokes it. And to see the Spirit provoke faith in seven people this morning as he's provoking faith, God Almighty, I will never get over that as long as I live. So I'm just, I'm so proud of all of you that got baptized this morning. And look, the tank is still open. <laughs> so there might be some of you that are here this morning and you're like, oh, did I miss my opportunity? You didn't. So I'm going to read the Bible and talk for a little bit. And then we're going to come to the table of the Lord and take communion. But if you need to get baptized this morning, there still is time to do it. So just come and talk to us and we'll get you in those waters of baptism. I, I thought I'd use this morning. We're, st- we're in the book of 1 Kings. I'll be in chapter 9. So I'll invite you to turn there. But I thought I would use this opportunity since we have baptized a handful of folks just to remember what the life of discipleship entails. So one of the things that we believe in the church about baptism is that when you get baptized, that's not like a moment that you ever really graduate from. Sort of like 23 years ago, uh, Mandy and I got married. And so when we put the rings on each other's fingers, you don't like graduate from that and move on. But you spend... (laughs) You really spend the rest of your life reckoning with whatever it was you did that day when you said, I do. And that's what the life of discipleship is. The life of discipleship is our spending the rest of our lives reckoning with just what happened when we went into the waters of baptism. So I'm going to talk some about that this morning. We're in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9. You kind of know the story of kings at this point. King David has died. He's passed the kingdom on to his son Solomon. Solomon has been given several big charges about what to do. He had some issues kind of in his kingdom early on. He put those issues to rest. He spent about 20 years building the temple, so that place for God's presence to dwell. And then he spent another, uh, what was seven years building the temple, and then it was like another 13 years building the palace, so kind of this central point of administration. And so you have this thing that represents the presence of God, and then the temple, which represents the rule of God. And now we come to this moment in 1 Kings chapter 9, where really it's like all of the big work of Solomon's in terms of establishing the kingdom uh, is really more or less finished. There's some other tidying up work that he's got to do, but to have the temple finished and the palace completed and to be at rest kind of at the edges of the empire is really a big moment. And early on in his reign, Solomon had the Lord appear to him one time and begin to say some things to him. And now here again, he has the Lord appear to him a second time. And I want you to listen very carefully to what the Lord says to Solomon, because what he says to Solomon, as it turns out, he's also saying to us, hear the word of the Lord, 1 Kings chapter 9. 
When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and the plea that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be in that place. And as for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and if you do all I command and observe my decrees and my laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, And don't observe the commands and the decrees that I've given you. And if you go off to other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I've consecrated from my name. Israel then will become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And this temple will become a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and will say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer this. They will say, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That's why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Now let's pray. Great God and Father of all, over all, And through all and in all, we give you thanks and praise this morning for all of your goodness and for your loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation and our preservation and for all of the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and in righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. We're asking this morning that as we open up the sacred text of scripture, that we would see just a little bit more, just a little bit more what has been given to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that faith would wake up in us just a little bit more to trust it, to believe it, and to align our lives with all of the goodness of God that comes to us in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us. We pray that as we open these scriptures this morning that they would speak to us, that they would sing to us, that they would comfort us where we need to be comforted, that they would provoke us where we need to be provoked, and that we'd walk out of here this morning just looking a little bit more like your people a granite, we pray, we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I want to make three simple points to you this morning out of 1 Kings chapter 9 with the time that we have remaining. Number one, here's the first point to you, and this is the life of discipleship. What are we called into when we enter into the waters of baptism and come out, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus Christ? What is it that we're called into? I want to say this, that we're called, first of all, to build a good life. We're called to build 
A good life with our good God. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? A good life with a good God. That's what we're called into. And I love how this text in 1 Kings chapter 9 uh, opens. Uh, The writer says this in verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. And then what does the text say there? Why don't you say it real loud, church? And had achieved all what? And had achieved all that he had desired to do. And you know, when the writer says that, all he had desired to do, the writer doesn't say it with any kind of judgment. That's not pejorative. The writer is not like, oh yeah, when he had done all he desired to do, then God finally got his turn. It's not like that. God gave the kingdom to Solomon and put the dreams and the desires in Solomon's heart so that Solomon would do those things. When he'd finished building the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had achieved all he had, what? All he had desired to do. And then it goes on into the rest of All he had desired to do. Now, that's really interesting. The commentators of the Old Testament, when they write about this passage, most of them will say that one of the things that you start seeing as you look at the first Kings unfold is that Solomon is really positioned as like a new Adam. He's a second Adam. And Israel is like the garden of the Lord. And his job is to pick up the Adamic vocation out of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And live it to its full. And you'll remember what Adam's vocation was. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember that the Lord creates the heavens and the earth. And then he creates this place, the Garden of Eden. And he creates Adam and Eve inside of it. And do you remember what the Lord says to Adam and Eve? He says, go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every creeping thing along the ground. And then he says to them, and also all of the living creatures around you. Like, why don't you go ahead and name those living creatures and then take this Garden of Eden that I've given you and build it up the way that you want it. Shape it in a way that's consistent with your desires. And I love that moment, especially with the naming of the animals, because the text, you can read this in Genesis chapter 3, but the text of Scripture will say that whatever Adam called the living creatures, he doesn't bring them to the Lord and go, Lord, do you think that this is a good name for this animal here? He doesn't do that. He just names it. And you know what the text says? That whatever Adam named them, that happened to be the name of the thing. It's like Adam is exercising his agency to build up the Garden of Eden, to shape it and to give meaning to it, consistent with the purposes of God. And Solomon now is picking up that vocation and he's doing the same thing. The thing that Adam didn't do because of disobedience, all of, all of a sudden Solomon really begins to do. Guys, we're called to build up a good life with our good God. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? A good life with our good God. And I think that this is one of the places where Christians sometimes get a little bit tripped up. I've been a pastor now going for 20, going on 20 years. I've been in the church all my life. And I've had so many conversations with people over the years where they're so very stressed out, you know, about like, what is the will of God? For my life, I just don't know, Pastor. I've been praying and asking God what the will of God for my life is. And I, and I just don't know, you know, should I live in Colorado or California? Should I live in Wisconsin or Maine? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I study this for a degree or that other thing for a degree? Should I get a cat or a dog for a pet? And, of course, the answer is a dog. If I do get the cat, what should I name the cat? And I say, I can't help you at that point because you already disobeyed. You stepped out of the, I'm just kidding. I've got a cat. She's fine. (laughs) We're so stressed 
about the minutia of our lives because somewhere along the line, uh, we were convinced that it was our job to crack open the mind of God about all of the little details about our lives, and therefore we cannot act until we know just what God thinks about this, that, and the other thing. And do you know what I think that what God says about most of those things? Go do what's in your heart to do. California or Colorado, which do you like better? Colorado. You know, Wisconsin or Maine, what major do you, do what's in your heart to do. Think about what the scripture says about Solomon here in chapter nine. When Solomon had achieved all that he had desired to do and the Lord blesses that. We're called to build up a good life with our good God. And we have said this to our, our teenagers, three of our kids, now our teenagers, we have four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. And we have this little ritual that we do with our kids that when they turn 13, uh, they get a trip with mom and dad in the United States to anywhere in the United States that they want to go. And it's, uh, it's not like a bar mitzvah, but it's like close to that, except less Jewish. Um, <laughs> but what we do is we like, we party with them for a couple days in whatever city they want to go to. So we have a ton of fun. And we have also several really kind of serious conversations to sort of mark the moment with them and say, okay, now you're getting ready to transition into this next stage of your life. And this is what's coming down the pike for you. And also this is what you can expect from us as your parents. And one of the things that we have said to Ethan, Gabe, and Bella, and we'll say it to Liam when Liam crosses this threshold, is we have said, your life belongs to you. And your parents are not standing in your way. Your parents are standing at your side. Now, if you get ready, if you're planning on, and we can see it happening, that you're getting ready to do something that is evil or wicked or manifestly foolish or destructive, then we are going to stand in your way. (laughs) Tell you, we don't think that you should do that. That's not right. That's not good. That's going to hurt you. But with the rest of it, it's yours. We're not going to tell you what college to go to. We're not going to tell you what career to pick. We're not going to tell you what person to marry. We're not here to micromanage the details of your lives. This life is your life. Live it to the full and live it abundantly. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's what God is calling us to. And sometimes I think we get so kind of bent out of shape in our minds about what is God asking me to do and who is he asking me to be that we forget about the pure joy of just living. Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, says, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? But I think that we need more of that in the church. Adam and Eve are given a couple commands in the Garden of Eden. But beyond that, the Lord's like, I'm setting up some boundaries for you. Why don't you build this up in a way that pleases you and benefits one another and glorifies me? We need more people to do that. I got to hang out a couple weeks ago uh, with one of my good friends in the church. And I won't say who this person is because it would embarrass him a little bit. But five years ago, I got to know this guy for the first time and him and his family were new to Colorado Springs and he was just starting a new career, new job, trying to make a new life here. And I remember getting lunch with him and hearing the story and saying to him, man, I'm so inspired by what you're planning on doing. I just want to be a friend to you, a pastor to you. You let me know what you need from me, you know, and life is busy and hectic and we've maintained our relationship over the last several years. But then I caught up with him just a couple weeks ago and got lunch and I said, man, catch me up on all the things that are going on in your life. And he said, Andrew, you just won't believe it. Like my business is exploding and God is opening up new opportunities for me over here. And my kids 
are just doing so, so well. And in addition to all of that, my marriage, I love this. I said, I said, tell me what's like got you so grateful right now. And he said, all of a sudden tears filled his eyes. He goes, my marriage is clicking on all cylinders. Like life is working for me. And as a pastor, I can't want more for you than that. <laughs> than that you would fear the Lord your God and then live your life in a way that glorifies him and builds up the world. Think about what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, this is what I've observed to be a good thing. That it's appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of their life that God has given them. For this is their lot. Verse 19, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this, Solomon says, it's a gift from God. Verse 20, they seldom even reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Can you imagine what that would be like? To be like so inside your life that the eating and the drinking and the working of it, you're hardly even reflecting on like the big things because you're just so caught up in the sheer joy of living. Do you know that's what God is calling you to? I don't know what's in your heart to do. I don't know what you're dreaming about for your life, but the scripture says just take your plans and you submit them to the Lord. And that's what I do. I go, God, the, the psalmist says in Psalm 16 that the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. So when I'm thinking about some initiative or something I want to do, I go, God, here's the thing, this thing that's in my heart to do. If this displeases you in some way, please check me on it. But otherwise, I'm going to throw myself into it. And God wants that from us because God is a good parent for us. You say, but Andrew, how will I know whether or not I'm going astray in my life? Well, how about this? This is from the end of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon writes this in chapter 12 of the same book. Next slide. Now all has been heard and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of mankind. Question, church. Is it your job to discern the will of God for all of the micro details of your life? No. It's not your job at all. Do you know what your job is? Somebody. And what? Fear God and keep his commandments. So Jesus says, what are you going to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep the big ten and toss yourself wildly into your life and make it a good life. Ladies and gentlemen, we're called to build up a good life with our good God, number one. But number two, I'll say this to you, next thing, is that the fear of the Lord, it leads to flourishing. The fear of the Lord is the thing that leads to that life becoming a good life with your good God. Watch, watch the Lord's charge to Solomon here in verses four and five. Watch what he says. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and if you do all I command, and observe my decrees and my laws, verse 5, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So Solomon is being blessed in all of the things that he had desired to do, but the Lord also reminds him, hey buddy, remember about fearing God and keep his commandments? Like if you want to keep this thing going, if you want it to flourish the way that I desire it to flourish in your life, would you please just walk before me in integrity of heart and wholehearted devotion? Keep giving yourself to me, but don't be distracted. Don't be pulled to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And I promise that I will establish your line in the same way that I established the line of your father, David. Same thing. Go back to the Garden of Eden. 
The Lord tells that first couple to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You remember that? You remember that he also says to them, build up the Garden of Eden and take care of it. You remember that? So it's the space that they're called to build up. You'll remember that he also says to them, here's the living creatures, call them whatever you want to call them. But there were also other commands that were given to that first couple. Do you remember what the one final command was? In the middle of the garden, there were planted two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does the Lord say about the second tree? Now just don't eat of that. Like I'm just asking you, not, just don't eat of that. Because in the day that you eat of that, you will surely die. But the other stuff, the be fruitful and the multiply, the fill the earth and the subdue it, the taking care of the garden, the naming the animals. And also, by the way, <laughs> the tree of life is in the Garden of Eden. Like if you want, you can gorge yourself on life. Eat it all day long as the day is long. Fill your belly with life. Just avoid this one thing over here because this will destroy you. The fear of the Lord, obedience to God, leads to our flourishing. The psalmist knows this, Psalm 1. Now, blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, they meditate. So what God has set up and what God requires, they center their minds on constantly. They meditate day and night. And that person, the person that does that, is like a what? They're like a tree. That's right. Planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, the psalmist says. But they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law, they're constantly pondering the way of God. What does God require? What does God want? How do I settle myself in the fear of the Lord? And somehow by meditating on the law of the Lord, they become the kinds of persons that are constantly drawing up life straight from the source. Now this also, by the way, is one of the places in Christianity where I think that we get tripped up. Because when we think about the law of the Lord, most of us don't have happy, uh, fuzzy, positive connotations around that, do we? Most of us, when we think about the law of the Lord, we think about an arbitrary set of things that God has commanded to do because God is kind of a cranky old miser uh, up in the sky and he just doesn't want to have people to have a good time and therefore he puts all of these laws you know, and I even hear Christians say sometimes, they'll say, you know, Andrew, I've heard this so many times, Andrew, I'm not a law Christian, I'm a grace Christian, they'll say. You know, in the New Covenant, we've graduated from all of that law stuff, and now we just kind of float in this happy, wispy, ethereal realm of pure grace. And I think that this is a profound misunderstanding, because the law of the Lord is not an arbitrary set of things that God gives us because he just happens to have certain preferences about some things. Yeah, and it just, you know, it really kind of gets my goad when people do this, you know, or it's really a pet peeve of mine when people do X, Y. That's not the law of the Lord at all. The law of the Lord is God's way of telling us exactly how life works and what it takes to flourish. So the Hebrew word for law is the Hebrew word Torah. Can I hear you say Torah. And you know what Torah actually means? I think we've got a slide for this. That's why I'm walking this direction and looking at that screen over there. Yeah, maybe we don't. 
Do you know what Torah actually means? We think of law. We think of like the speed limit, don't break the speed limit, and you know, all the laws of our society. But do you know what law actually means in Hebrew? It means instruction. It's instruction. It's like God's way of saying, do you see this thing over here? Let me tell you how this works. Do you see your finances here? Can I just tell you for a second how finances go right and how they go wrong? Hey, give me, a, let's have a conversation about power for a second. Can I tell you how power goes right and how power goes wrong? Can we have a conversation about your sexuality for a minute? Can we tell you how bodies go right and how bodies go wrong? I want to give you my Torah, my instruction, so that you understand more deeply what it takes to flourish. I'll give you an example of Torah. Can I tell you about the best bite of food I have ever had in my entire life? Yeah, you're like, it's like really close to lunch and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through the service. Maybe back off of that illustration, Pastor. I'm going to tell you about the best bite of food I ever had in my life. So like six or seven years ago, Mandy and I were celebrating an anniversary. Actually, it might have been eight or nine now. And we were in Minneapolis, St. Paul area and my little brother, Rob, lived there. And he was working at this restaurant called the Red Cow, which is like a gourmet burger bar. Some of you, have you eaten at the Red Cow? You know, because you're from Minnesota. That place is nuts. And so we went to the Red Cow for our anniversary, and my little brother Rob, he took care of us. And I said, Rob, I don't know the menu very well. So I said, I said Rob, what's good on the menu here? And he said, oh. He said, you got to get the 60-40 burger. And I said, tell me about the 60-40 burger. And all of a sudden, his eyes caught kind of misty as he talked about it. <laughs> and he says, well, here's the 60-40 burger. He goes, the 60-40 burger is so named because it's 60% various kinds of ground beef. So like ribeye and chuck and some other wonderful things. And that's all ground up. And then he said, and then it's 40% ground bacon. <sighs> I just felt the anointing fall upon me there. I'm actually not even kidding. <laughs> and so that's the patty, he said. And so then they cook that patty. They get like a nice sear on it so that it's got like a nice crust. And then what they do is they put an aged smoked cheddar on the top of it. And then they put uh, three strips of candied bacon on the top of that. So actually not really a 60-40 burger, more like a 50-50 burger. And so this burger is definitely trending in the right direction. And then he said, and then it's like they've got this like mustard sauce. It's like a whole grain mustard sauce. And they serve it on a brioche bun. And he's like, you're going to love it. That's the burger that you need to get. And so I, I ordered the burger and it came to me. And angels were singing around it. And there was a halo on that plate, I swear. And I lifted the burger up to my lips and I put it in my mouth. And have you ever experienced a bite of food that was so good that you did not want to chew? Uh, but, uh, and I just about got slain in the spirit. It was so good. And Mandy saw me. I mean, she will like, she could bear witness to this. Like my eyes filling up with tears. And I remember, I was like, it, this is so, why did that burger wind up being so good? Because somebody in the back room followed the Torah of the burger. They did. They paid attention to all of the little laws and norms and regularities that adhere in the beef and in the bacon and in the cheese and in the mustard and in the brioche bun and all of that. And because they had apprenticed themselves to those conditions, 
the burger became the best possible burger that anybody could ever eat in any universe whatsoever as long as there shall be a heavens and an earth. It's so good. If you go to Minnesota, I'm not paid to say this, but if you go to Minnesota and you buy Red Cow, you go get the 60-40 burger and you tell them that Andrew Arndt sent you. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know that life is just like that? That God has set up life to work in a certain way And when we honor those norms and we honor the regularities of life, what happens is life begins to work. Our lives become tasty lives. (laughs) I think about spending time with the great Eugene Peterson many years ago. Eugene and his wife Jan were getting close to 80 years old, and I'd never met Eugene before in my life, but we walked into their house, Kalispell, Montana, close to Flathead Lake, right on Flathead Lake, actually. And I'll never forget the sheer joy and exuberance and hospitality that radiated from Eugene and Jan. How, how did that, they get that? Was that accidental? Does it just happen to be? No, it was like decades and decades of following the law of the Lord, submitting themselves to God's goodwill, made a life that was a good life that actually worked so that they could welcome people. Or I think about my parents. My parents, some of you know them. They come out to Colorado several times a year and you'll see my mom and my dad are 68 years old. And they'll bop around this place and they have so much joy and so much vitality. And when I tell people about my parents, I always say like, my parents never did really anything super spectacular in their lives. They just like stayed in it with the Lord. Ordinary faithfulness, day in and day out. They did Psalm 1 every day of their adult lives. And now here at the end of a journey, as they're approaching 70 years old, Well, that person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not. Whatever they do, you do that as you anchor yourself. I think about Bruce and Linda McCaleb sitting here on the second row. You talk to Bruce and Linda McCaleb, there's joy and there's love and there's life and there's peace. They didn't just like stumble into that. That's the product of a long obedience in the same Direction, And it's not because God favors their life more than your life or any other life. Do you know the same opportunities, the same conditions are set in front of every one of us? Think again about what the psalmist says later in the, psalm, in the book of the psalm, Psalm 112. The psalmist says, this is a psalm to commit to memory. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Uh, Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, I love this, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous person. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous, they'll never be shaken. Uh, They will be remembered forever, verse 7. They'll have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. There, verse 8. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Verse 9, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high and honored. The wicked, however, will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Brothers and sisters, do you know that this can be yours? (laughs) It's yours if you want it. All you have to do is submit yourself to the law of the Lord. And then throw yourself into the life that God has given you. And things will come. Circumstances will happen that knock you off kilter. And there will be times that the rain will come and the winds 
will blow against the house, that there will be great hurricanes and tornadoes and storms in your life. God knows Mandy and I have had those over 25 years of being together. But do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7? That the person who hears the words of his and puts them into practice is like a wise person that dug down deep and laid their foundation on the, do you know it? The rock. And the wave, waves came and the rains came and the wind blew and it beat against that house and yet it did not fall. Why? Because it was well built. What are you building your life on? Are you building it on the fear of the Lord? Or are you building it on something else? And so God wants us to build a good life with our good God. And the fear of the Lord leads to flourishing. And then we'll close with this. And with this, we'll begin to make the turn into communion. That disobedience leads to disintegration. Disobedience leads to disintegration. Watch these verses here towards the end of this section. But if, the Lord says to Solomon, your descendants turn away from me and don't observe the commands and the decrees that I've given you, and they, if, if they go off to other gods and they serve them and they worship them, verse 7, then I'll cut off Israel from the land that I've given them and will reject this temple I've consecrated from my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples, verse 8. And this temple will become a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? Verse 9. And the people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That's why the Lord brought all this disaster upon them. When a life crashes, ladies and gentlemen, it's usually not accidental. (laughs) The Lord here is standing up in front of Solomon and he's saying, Solomon, buddy, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. I've told you what it's going to take to maintain the kingdom. I've told you what it's going to take to maintain the flourishing of your life. I've told you that if they do, I haven't laid a lot of requirements upon you, just a handful. Fear me and keep my commandments. Would you do those things, buddy? But listen, if you turn away from me, and you start worshiping and serving other gods, if you start making your life about other things, if you start dishonoring me and you start dishonoring other people, I promise you that this thing that you have built, which right now seems so amazing, which right now seems so imposing, which right now seems eternal, I promise you it'll begin to disintegrate and collapse. Disobedience leads to disintegration. And I choose that word very carefully because when I originally wrote up the message, I thought, well, I need, what I need to tell them is that disobedience leads to disaster. And I think that it does lead to disaster. But first of all, it leads to disintegration, which leads to disaster if left unchecked. That we begin turning our hearts away from the Lord. And we begin walking in other ways, ways that God has not given us to walk in. And somehow what that begins to do is that begins to rot our lives from the inside out. That's what happens to Solomon. You can read that towards the end of 1 Kings chapter 9 and in the ensuing chapters. One of the things that you will see in the life of Solomon is that he has all of these little places where even though he does a couple things right, he's dishonoring the Lord and he's doing it intentionally and it creates cracks in the foundation and it leads to the house collapsing several chapters later. Disobedience leads to disintegration, which leads to disaster if left unchecked which is why we must do this one thing. This is the daily practice of those who follow Jesus. We guard our hearts. We watch ourselves. 
We don't assume that we've got it all figured out. We don't assume that we're doing it right. In fact, we assume most of the time that somewhere along the way that we're missing it. And so the daily prayer that I pray before the Lord is search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my innermost thoughts. See if there's any offensive way. I pray that prayer regularly. And I also pray this. I pray the prayers of Moses, the man of God. I say, Lord, teach me your ways and show me your glory. Like search my heart, show me how to live, and then show your face to me. And so that, with that in mind, church, can we stand this morning? The Apostle Paul calls us as we come to the table of the Lord to examine ourselves, to search ourselves. And so I want you this morning just to hold your life, your heart, your ways before the Lord. And I want you just to invite the Lord to search you. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And yet there are so many places where we don't do that. We've made our lives not about God. We've made our lives not about the love of other people. Instead, we've served ourselves. We're living selfishly. And what it's doing is it's creating chaos in our lives and it's putting cracks in the foundation. And so this morning, we ask that you'd search us, Holy Spirit. We say, search us through and through. Would you help us? Would you come? Would you open our hearts up to you in a fresh way? And this morning, as we come to the table of the Lord, we're asking that you would reset us in righteousness Reset us in holiness. Reset us in the fear of the Lord. Grant that we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. And so we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would take now bread and cup. We ask that as the great high priest, you would lift them up for the face of your father in heaven, that you would bless them and break them and fill them with your spirit and us with them. And that somehow all of this would be a participation in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant it, we're asking in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite our servers to come forward this morning to serve communion. Communion, as always, will be up front on my right and my left. If you come forward, you're gonna come up the center aisle here. You'll receive a cracker, dip it in the cup, and then take it as you head back to your seat. And some of you this morning, you also, and maybe just everybody, Maybe this is an opportunity also for you in a posture of repentance to remember your baptism this morning. And so as you come forward to receive communion, you might just consider washing your hand, taking your hands and putting them in that water as a way of saying that these waters are my waters, Lord Jesus, and I am bound to you in life and in death. Renew me, make my life new. So brothers and sisters, I say to you, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
Come on, let's sing this together. One can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. One can make me whole again. Come on, church. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Open your heart. Sing it loud. Come on. your hands like this. Receive this blessing as you go. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for Jesus? Good gosh. Jesus, we thank you for cleansing us and renewing us. We thank you for claiming us here. You've plucked us out of darkness. You put us into the marvelous light. Cleansed us, renewed us, filled us with your spirit. You've done everything for us. You've literally done everything for us. And you said that the work of God is this, just to believe in the one that he has sent. And so we want to believe in you this morning, Jesus. We want to submit our lives to you. We want to trust you with our money, with our power, with our relationships, with our sexuality. We want to trust you in life. We want to trust you with death. And we believe that we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living in our lives. And so I say to you, New Life East, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need a prayer for anything, I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. We would love to pray with you this morning. Fellowship hour is in our lobby, so coffee and donuts. Be sure to hang out with us. If you're new, see us in Connect Central. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.